listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. I've got an interesting thing for you today. I've never... I don't think I've ever done a broadcast on this, but after last last night's broadcast and uh, Carolyn and I were talking on that broadcast, it got me thinking about this more and more and more. And um, such a powerful motivator. You know, I and, and I'll set it up this way. And please, as you're jumping on, share this broadcast this morning. Um I was watching some of you that have that you know if you watch YouTube, if you read business books, if you've seen anything in the business arena, you've probably heard about or seen um, Gary Vaynerchuk. Now, if you are easily offended by people that are not Christians, don't watch his content. But uh, he's um, like a marketing guru, salesman, has his own company, uh, social media guy. He understands social media marketing and. Um, you know, people ask him to come speak at keynotes and, you know, he's very motivational, tells people they got all the time that they need. I mean, you know, he really tells people you're, it's not too late for you to start, to be successful, all those things. And, um, you know, they pay him big, big money to come speak at a keynote. And I'm talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. And um, I saw a video clip where he was leaving somewhere. He was, in, he was already in his car and the, and the driver was getting ready to pull away. And um, a lady ran up to his car and said to him, wait, don't go. Before you leave, just give me, just give me one, just give me one uh, piece of advice, something motivational. She said, just motivate me. She said, it doesn't have to be long. She said, just three words. She said, Gary, give me three words. And um, he thought for just a second and he looked out the window and he said, you will die. And, and like, it shocked her at first. She was like, oh, like, okay. But then she thought about it and she was like, yes, thank you. You know, fist bumped him. He drove off. And, uh, you may think like, that's a morbid thought. You know, that's, that's a morbid thought, but it's really not a morbid thought. It's actually, if you think about this, it's actually a biblical thought morning, Tim. It's actually a biblical thought, you know, um, we're getting ready to, I, I shared with you that my, my grandfather on my mom's side just passed away this last week and um, we're getting ready to do the committal. We're getting ready to, to uh, do the graveside and um, it makes you think, you know, uh, I was on, we were on last night and uh, brother Glenn Karam said something in the comments, which is absolutely true. He said, you know, there's nobody on their deathbed that says in the final moments of their life, I wish I worked more. I wish I spent more time at my job. I wish I would have developed my career to a higher. Nobody thinks like that in the end. But when it comes to the end, people begin to think about what's extremely important to them. And um, to tell that girl, you know, you will die, it's not a morbid thought. It's actually a biblical thought. It's actually a biblical thought. I shared last night, that there's a book that came out relatively recently. Um, I have to check to see what year, but this book is entitled 
4,000 Weeks. Morning, John. Love you. This book is called 4,000 Weeks. And um, it, it puts life in perspective. But it talks about that the average age, you know, of a human now is right around 80 years old. You know, some people live longer. My grandfather was 88 this last week when we, uh, when he passed away, 88 years old. So was my grandmother who earlier um, this last year passed away. My other grandfather, I believe he was 86 when he passed away. So there's some variables, you know, but right, the average is right around 80 years. Um, which makes up 4,000 weeks, which when you think about it in that context, that context is insane because when you think, I have 4,000 weeks on average to live, you know, of course, there's pluses and minuses based on your faithfulness to God's word, Um, but 4,000 weeks. All right, so if that's the average, I saw that they were selling online, and this is really interesting, I saw they were selling online a calendar that you can hang on your wall of your office. It's kind of like the size of like a floor to ceiling mirror. Um, And it's like a calendar that has those 4,000 bubbles that you can go in with a pen and fill a bubble in so that after every week has passed, you can fill that bubble in. What a sobering thought to look at that calendar in your office. Like for me, uh, being 41 this year, I'm gonna be 42 years old. What a sobering thought to look at that calendar and see like, Half the bubbles are already all filled in. Half the bubbles are filled in. Well, what does that do? It's not morbid. It's actually a great motivator. That's the reason that they're, that, that product exists. That's the reason uh, that that book came out. Uh, to tell us it's time to get on track with the thing we're supposed to be doing. It's actually a great motivator, which is why Gary said that to that lady out the window of his car. Uh, as a three-word motivator, you will die. For as, for us as Christians, um, we understand it from a, another perspective. It's going to be one of two things. Either we will die or the rapture will happen. And because there's no uh, knowing when the rapture could take place, could happen today, could happen next week. We don't know when it's going to take place. The Bible says no man knows the day or the hour of Christ's return. So there's an urgency in that motivator. You will die or the rapture will happen. So no matter what, see, because that keeps you from being young and not being motivated by this. Because you could say, well, you know, I don't speak death over my life. I'm 21 years old. I, I, you know, I believe I'm going to live a long life. You know, I honored my father and mother. It's going to be well with me. I'll live a long life on the earth. Yes, so we're, we're not speaking death over anybody. You might be 21, you're like, well, it doesn't motivate me the same it motivates somebody who's 60. No, because we as Christians also have the rapture to think about. It's not just death, it's the rapture to think about. And so Sheila said, I say none of us are getting out of here alive. It could be that we're the final generation, Sheila, that Christ will return and rapture his church And it could be this week. I mean, we don't know. We see the signs of the times. We just don't know. So God has given us this limited time offer, which is the life that we are given to steward until Christ comes or until we die and go to be with the Lord. He's given us this limited time offer to be good stewards of our life, of our lives. And I wanted to give you a few verses from scripture. Oh, I know. 
Tammy said, when you're, when you're young, 40 feels so far away. I agree. And then I'm sure it's the same whenever at each age. I'm sure like now being 41 this year, you know, 60 feels far away, but it's not far away. That's, you know, that is truly the myth of life is that life is long because the Bible says the opposite. The Bible says that does not say life is long. The Bible says life is fleeting. Crazy. Denise puts the verse in the um, comments, Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So look at that. Uh, Paul encourages the church that we need to make the best use of our time. That's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. We need to make the best use of our time because the days are evil. You know, don't live like unwise people. Well, so, so what does it look like to live as an unwise person? Those are people that waste their time, that waste their life. The Bible categorizes people who waste their life and waste their time as unwise. But it characterizes people who make the best use of their time as wise people. And I'm going to tell you, I'm actually going to give you something today that you don't often hear, but it's going to help you. So I want to, I want to give you just a few verses. I'm going to start with James chapter 4. Uh, if you have your Bible, I want you to look at it with me. James chapter 4. And... Um, I'm going to read verses 13 and 14. Morning, Angie. Morning, Stephanie. Sandy and Lennox. James chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Verse 14. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time. And then it vanishes. I'm going to say that again. You're a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. So if we jump back to Psalm 102, you'll see this. And um, Psalm 102 and verse number three. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My days pass away like smoke. So in James chapter 4, Paul, or excuse me, James is saying that you're a mist. Life is so quick that in the light of eternity, it's a mist that appears and is gone. Appears and is gone. It's very quick. It's very quick. Life moves very quickly. We were talking yesterday, we were reminiscing on the broadcast. My daughter, in just a couple of weeks, is going to be 14 years old. 14 years old. You know, some of you have kids that are already grown and out of the house, and it feels to you like yesterday that they were toddlers. Some of you have kids that are seniors in high school, juniors in high school, and it felt like they were toddlers just a few days ago. And you look at them now. And I'm looking at my, my Madeline, who's going to be 14 years old uh, in just a couple of weeks. And I'm looking at her, and I can clearly remember 
when and Sheila said, I remember when she was born. Yeah, because we came we came to Nashville when she was born. My dad did the album. She was just little. And uh, I can remember, you know, her toddling around the house and literally first day of school with her big, huge backpack on outside the house. I mean, fast. I told the story because she got a um, she got a record player for Christmas this year. And I had a record player, uh, and I still have it. I've had it for a long time. And one of the records that I bought, because she was uh, a huge fan of Cinderella when uh, she was really little. She loved watching the Disney Cinderella movie, the original. And I bought the soundtrack on vinyl. And it came, and I would put that song on um, A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes. And um, I would put it on, and we'd come back from being on the road and doing revival services. And we'd go, me and Maddie, she was just little, we'd go in the office and I would put that record on, A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes. She'd come down in her full Cinderella dress from Disney with her tiara on. And she she had satin gloves at one point and she had the uh, glass slippers. And she'd come in, you know, and she'd come in, she'd have a little lip gloss on and she'd come into the office as Princess Maddie and I'd pick her up and I'd put that song on A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes. And uh, I'd pick her up in my arms and we'd waltz around the office to that song. And I look back, that, that seems like just like weeks ago, weeks ago. And she was like two, three, four years old. Now she's 14 years old. I told Carolyn the other day, I said, she's not, she's not even a, girl, a little girl anymore. I said, look at her. She's a young, she just got back from getting her hair done. I said, look at her. She's, she's a, a young lady. She's a young lady. And um, we dance around. So this this Christmas, I went when she got her record player. I went and got the vinyl for the Cinderella. And though she's much much bigger now, I picked her up off the ground and danced her around the living room to the same song. And what a difference! I mean, now being 14 years old, coming up, much different than three years old. But man, it feels like it was yesterday, and it flies by. It flies by. That's why I can't understand. People who uh, waste their life, waste their time. Look, look, Tammy said, spoiler, in the same amount of time, she'll be almost 30. I know. I know. Time flies like that. Time goes by so fast, and people waste their time. There's, And I'll say it to you this way. Put it in the comments. Put it in your notes. There's no time to waste. There's no time to waste. Your life, your purpose is too important. There's no time to waste. That's why I was appalled when I went to a church and I was preaching and, uh, Hey, Peter and Deb, love you guys. I was preaching and uh, I was ministering to people at the altar. And, uh, I've told you this story. And that guy came up to me and said, would you pray for me? I said, sure, absolutely. How can I pray for you? And, uh, this is the guy that told me, yeah, you know, like about 22 years ago, the Lord spoke to me to step out into the ministry and to, to go into the ministry. And I just want you to pray with me that that'll come to pass. And I'm sitting there thinking, 22 years ago, and you've not stepped out? You've not even started with the thing that God told you to do? And I, I can remember in, in that moment, my mind was like blown that here's a guy that got a word from God 22 years ago and has wasted 22 years, totally wasted it because now that time is gone and he hasn't even started. 
He's not even started. And you want to just be like, bro, I'm sure God's found somebody else by now. You know, it's just like God has things he wants done on the earth. I explained it to you this way. I said, can you imagine if I was looking to to get a, a contractor or a worker to do work in our house or to knock down a wall or to whatever, build something for us or a landscaper to do our landscaping in a different way? And then they said, yeah, no problem. We'll be there in about 22 years. It's like, yeah, no thanks. I'll find someone else. Because there's a job that I want to be completed. Same with God. Same with God. God's got a job that he wants to be completed. So why is he? He's not waiting 22 years on somebody. God, these are, these are time-sensitive things God's called you to do. These are time-sensitive things God has called you to do. And it's a convicting thought for our hearts that we got to get to work. We got to do the thing we're called to do. There's no time to waste. There's no time to waste. Um, go with me quickly to Psalm 90. Let's go to Psalm 90. Puts these things into perspective. That's why, you know, one of the, I, I'm not saying this to brag. I'm saying this because I want you to understand it. One of the greatest compliments that Carolyn and I ever had someone give us is somebody came up to us and said, man, you guys, it's like you talk about doing something one day and then the next day it's like done or like you're, you're almost finished. I mean, you, they said, you guys do things so fast. You, you like have the idea or you have the word and then it's, it's done. It's done. That was one of the greatest compliments I feel like I've ever received because it's a proof. It's not just in my mind. Other people can see if the Lord tells us to do something, we're not going to sit around and talk about it for 10 years. We're not going to storyboard it for five years. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. And we're going to do it as quickly as we can do it. Because time's short. Time is short. Psalm 90, I'll read you about five verses. I'm going to start with um, I'm going to start with verse 10. Psalm 90. And verse 10, we'll start there. And I'm going to read down through um, verse 12. Psalm 90, verses 10 through 12. Listen to this. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. So there it is again. There it is again. The psalmist said, the years of our life are 70 years old. Or, by reason of strength, 80. 80 years old. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. And they're soon gone. And we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and the wrath according to the fear of you? Speaking to God. Now look at verse 12. What a great request. What a great request. Verse 12 says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You see that? Teach us to number our days so that we may, we may get a heart of wisdom. Well, what is that? Numbering my days. There are people that truly think they're going to, you know, it feels like I'm going to live forever. You know, when you're young, you feel like I'm going to live forever. Eternity doesn't get more real to you. Mortality doesn't get more re real to you until you get older. 
Because as someone said in the comments, when you're young, you feel like you've got forever to live. You feel like you've got forever to live. But then as you get older, you sense the mortality. You sense how you are a finite being and you start to realize that's why your mindset changes. And the psalmist said, Lord, teach us to number our days. Teach us. You know, one, one uh, passage in the gospel says nobody starts a project without first counting the costs. Nobody starts a project without first counting the cost. You say, what do you mean by that? It means that you take stock, that you're a good steward. I'm not going to start a project and then realize, I can't finish this. I can't finish it. No, I took stock at the beginning. I took stock at the beginning. I analyzed it. I counted the cost. Doing the same with our life. Lord, teach us to number our days. I recognize. That's why, you know, if you've ever heard us teach on this or talk about this, you've heard us talk about um, the concept that we got, you know, you, you hear in the business world, SMART goals. And if you look at the, the SMART goals, and that's an acronym for those of you that don't know, but the last letter in that acronym, T, what does that stand for? Time sensitive. Time sensitive. What, what is that trying to get across to us? It's that when you set a goal, there needs to be a deadline. And the reason there needs to be a deadline is because if we don't set one, the, the human nature is to let that thing drag out forever. Well, I got time. I got time. You know, we'll get that next week. We'll do that next month. We'll do that next year. They, people let it drag out. So when you're setting what they call a smart goal in business, then each one of those five acronyms should apply to the goal, right? It's specific. It's measurable. It's attainable. It's relevant to your business or to your purpose, and it's time sensitive. That means we set a deadline. I need a specific goal. I need it to be measurable so I can know how far through this I am. I'm 50% done. I'm 70% done with what I'm going to be doing. I know that because I'm specific with the goal. That's why I don't ever just say like, I'm just going to, my goal is to lose weight. That's not a goal. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. That's a better goal because that's specific and measurable. I can see I'm halfway through losing 20 pounds, right? And it's attainable. I'm not going to say I'm going to lose 200 pounds. <laughs> I'm not going to be 40 pounds, you know, whatever, by the time I'm done. So it's attainable. And then it's relevant. Yes, that has to do with my health. That has to do with my life. That is something that, that, you know, me going out and saying I'm going to set a goal to be, learn to become an astronaut, that's not relevant to my purpose or relevant to my life. I'd be wasting all that time to say I'm going to learn to become an astronaut. But then finally, T, it's time sensitive. That means there needs to be a deadline to it. It's specific and measurable and it's attainable. When's it going to happen? So I'm not going to just say I want to lose 20 pounds. I'm going to say I want to lose 20 pounds in six months. Okay, now we know. Now we know that sets me on a whole different parameter because I've got a specific goal that is measurable. I can see how far and how long it's going to take me, right? If I'm super strict on my diet and it's going to be two pounds a week, that means eight pounds a month. That really means I could do it probably in about two and a half months. So I measure that out. And if I stick to that plan, I've got a time frame, and I've got something specific. I can measure it as I'm going through, see how I'm doing. See, that's, that's how wise people operate their lives. That's how wise people operate their lives. The same needs to be done for your life. 
for your life. So where are you going? Where are you going in life? What's your plan? What has God called you to do? What are you going to accomplish? And by, by what time? See, and then looking at that and saying, Lord, teach us to measure our days. Teach us to measure our days. That's important. Because when you say, Lord, teach me to measure my days, look at that. Number our days. I'm not going to go and say, well, I'm, I'm going to, this is going to be my, I'm going to get this done in 60 years. What? 60 years. I'm 40. That means I would be accomplishing my goal at 101. Is that really how quickly I want to operate and move through life? I have a goal that I'm going to accomplish by the time I'm 101? No. Keep our mindset, Lord, in a place where we understand eternity, where we understand uh, the finality of life and the mortality. I'm, I'm not going to live forever in the natural flesh. Even if Jesus tarries, there will come a day I'll go to heaven. What do I want to see happen before that? What's the urgency of getting it done? If, as the psalmist said, the number of our days is 70 years and by strength or reason of strength, 80, as I said, the average age around 80, okay, that means for me, I got 39 years plus the extra God gives me to get that done. From this day that I'm talking to you, 39 years, that's not a long time, man. That's less time than I've been alive. So you understand, you start to look at it in a different way. There's no time to waste. You get serious with your life and your life is serious and your purpose is important and serious. Don't ever let anybody, especially the enemy, ever make you feel like your life is insignificant or that your life doesn't matter or that your life is very, uh, you know, well, I'm not, I'm not Billy Graham. I'm, you know, who am I? And don't let the devil say those things to you. Don't let the devil make you think like that. Your life is vital. Your life is important. You're touching people that nobody else can touch. You're dealing with people that nobody else can deal with. Think about that. God's given you what I call a circle of influence. And that circle of influence is so important because now God has given you stewardship over the lives of people that your pastor may never meet, that others in the body of Christ may never meet, but you have an in with them because you see them every single day. Powerful. You see them daily. You see them multiple times a week. So now that means that your life is vital in their life because they, they are now relying on what God's given you as you're a steward over, over them, your circle of influence. And you can pray and say, God, enlarge my influence. And then if you're faithful over little, he'll make you ruler over much. Amen. I often think to myself, why would God give me a larger platform like he's done now if when I started in the beginning, I treated the, the smaller level like it didn't matter? I've never been like that. I don't, Glenn's probably working. I think Denise might be on, uh, Glenn may be on too, but you can ask them. When I came multiple years to preach at the Toa Nippy camp in New Hampshire, and I'm preaching to a room full of students, I didn't look in there and say, well, you know, this is no big deal. It's not that important. I'll just give them a little word and then go back to my room and play. No, 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 no. We had revival services, my friend. We had revival services. I gave it everything I had. I prayed and I fasted and we prayed in the Holy Ghost and we went after it. You know why? Because those young people are vitally important. 
We didn't treat that like, oh, it's just like some little teen camp and we're just going to go. No, 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 no. And we had moves of God that most churches never see. Let me tell you that. We had moves of God that most churches never see the strength of. A room full of people shouting, jumping, running, getting filled with the Holy Ghost, getting drunk in the Spirit, receiving the Word, getting built up, getting prepared for their purpose, getting ready to go off to college. Lives changed. That's right, Denise. Lives changed. And I look back and say, if I'd have sat there and said, well, you know, we're just up here in the woods with, you know, about, you know, 50, 60 kids. And, you know, it's, it's not, I'm believing for the, I'll really turn it on when God puts me in front of a thousand people. I didn't treat it like that. I never looked at my ministry like that. It was a move of the Holy Ghost. And I was happy to be there. I'd go preach. There's times early on in my ministry, I'd go into some country church and preach to 15 people, 25 people. And then the Lord, will, the Lord will look at you and say, will you be faithful over a little? How can I make you ruler over much if you're not faithful over a little? How are you going to treat this revival that I've given you as a young evangelist? How are you going to treat it? Are you going to say, like, that's not a big deal. You know, maybe I'll pray and fast when I get to the bigger levels, you know, when it's, when it's more than 15. No, no, no. I took every revival as though it was my best one and last one. Every opportunity got treated like it was a premier opportunity because it, it was in the eyes of God. It was in the eyes of God. Do you know, and, and I'm telling you something, God honored it. God honored it. Some of the greatest miracles that we've seen happen have happened in some of, a, of the smaller settings, not the larger ones, in the smaller ones that I know about. Smaller settings. Powerful. When I told you about that boy, the first blind miracle we ever saw in our ministry when that boy was totally blind in his eye, that happened in a church that at the time, maybe, I mean, less than 100 people in it. Definitely less than 100 people. Maybe 60 people. About, about 50, 60 people. But what a magnificent miracle. Six-year-old boy who's totally blind in his right eye and the eye comes open. <laughs> I could have gone in there and be like, well, it's not that big of a deal. You know, there's like 60 people in here. You know, I'm just going to kind of give them a quick word and get on to the restaurant afterwards. And no, we pressed in and we got a miracle that no doctor can perform. Only our God can perform. His, his mother gave her heart to Jesus. Everything changed for that family. Oh, yeah, everything changed. You've heard me tell the story of when that girl got delivered. I think, Denise, you may have been in that meeting. When that girl got delivered from um, heroin addiction and she came in, because that was in New Hampshire, and she came in and that night she was like strung out and uh, the power of God hit her and she went out on the floor in that Nazarene church. I don't even remember what town that's in. She went and hit the floor and the next night came back, gave her testimony that God set her free. I mean, what if Denise, if you were there, we probably had, you know, 40 people, 45 people that night in that little Nazarene church. Maybe, yeah, that's right. Maybe 50 people in that little Nazarene church. But what a miracle for that lady. What a miracle for that lady. Union? Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce that. Is it Ossipi or Ossipi? But I, I, can't, I can't remember. But, you know, we may have 40, 50 people in that little church. But what a miracle. 
So if I would have been one of these people that's like, well, you know, um, yeah, because it couldn't fit the other place, so we went and filled this place. It was the most we could get in that spot. People have heard me tell the story. It's one of those churches where there is no lobby. It's like you walk in the back doors, you're in the sanctuary. <laughs> and so everybody turns and looks. So someone else just came in the sanctuary. And she came in that night, strung out, and God touched her. And the next night came back and gave her testimony that God set her free from addiction to heroin. Now, if I'd have gone in there and said, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It's a revival with 40, 50 people. And, you know, I, when, one day when God takes me to the thousands, I'll really fast and print. No, no, no. We pressed in there. That's true. No air conditioning. <laughs> I forgot about that. But, but see what I mean? Don't treat what God's given you as though it's nothing. Don't treat what God's given you as though it's small or as though it's insignificant. No, you treat it like a premier opportunity. You know why? Because God is always watching. God's always watching. So not only is life short and you got to go after it with everything you've got, there's also opportunity after opportunity being afforded to you and then God's watching you to see how you will handle an opportunity that you've been given. Why would he make me ruler over much if, if I wouldn't be faithful over little? That's right, Glenn. We don't despise small beginnings. The rest of the verse says, for the Lord is happy to see the work begin. Do you know what the, refer you know what the context of that passage of scripture is? They had just finished building the foundation, laying the foundation of the new temple. And they looked at that and they rejoiced. Don't despise the day of small beginnings for the Lord is happy to see the work begin. Say, so why didn't they keep their rejoicing for when the temple was finished and completely built? Because they were excited just like God is excited to see the work begin. Not just the work end, to see it begin. God gets excited at the beginning of things, also at the end of things. And we should be excited at the beginning of things. Something's happening, something's launching, something's new. God is establishing something. Amen. And your life, you need to look at it in that context. God's excited. God's excited to see the work begin. He's happy to see the work begin. I feel like sometimes people think God is like emotionless, that he's just God in heaven, stoic. God's not emotionless. We know that from the Bible. God's not emotionless. He can be made happy. He can be made angry. He can be saddened by people's actions. Doesn't mean he's depressed. He's saddened. He's disappointed by people's actions. He can, the Bible says, he can also be grieved. The Spirit of God can be grieved by people's actions. God's not emotionless. Remember something. He made us in his image and in his likeness. Which means the way we're made up, he's made up. That's right. He sits in the heavens and laughs. He can be made happy. He can be made angry. He can be made saddened or disappointed. He can be grieved. We're made in his image and in his likeness. And so I want my life to please God. I want him to get excited about what I'm doing for him. I want him to be made happy about what I'm doing for him. Not disappointed, not grieved, happy happy. And so one of the things that makes God happy is to see his children operate in wisdom. And as Denise put in the comments at the beginning, the Bible says, don't be like those who are unwise, but like those who are wise, making the most of your time for the days are evil. 
So those who make the most of their time make the best use of their time. God sees them as wise, and that makes him happy. Makes him happy. So we're looking at this, and what does the psalmist say? Teach us to number our days. I'm not going to act like or live like I've got all the time in the world to get these things done. No, there's an urgency. There's an urgency to what we're doing. Flip back a few psalms to the 39th psalm. Jump back to the 39th psalm. Let me read you two more verses. And by the way, this is a, a psalm David wrote. Psalm 39, and I'm going to read you verses 4 through 6. I'm glad you're here, Linda. David writes, O Lord, make me know my end. And what is the measure of my days? There it is again. Make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. You know, that'll keep people from being flippant. <laughs> Understanding how fleeting they are will keep them from being flippant. Just wasting time and coasting through life. David said, don't let that be me, Lord. Make me know my end. Let me know the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you've made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Why? He's eternal. God's eternal. So when David says, my life is as nothing before you, talking about the length of his days, yeah, it's a breath. Surely all Mankind stands as mere as a mere breath, a mere breath, and gone. That's it. That's it. Verse six Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. Why? Time's out. Psalm 39, Carl, verses four through six. Psalm 39, verses 4 through 6. Amazing. David understood this. And, and look, he, he doesn't want to ignore that fact. He's saying, God, remind me of that fact. God, let me know the end. Let me understand the measure of my days. Let me know it. Let me know it. My life's a breath. It's nothing before you. I want to understand how fleeting I am. Why? Now, here's a man, think about it this way. Here's a man that was, what did, what did the Bible say? A man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. So that means David, the way he thought about things, the way he, it was, it was after God's own heart. And God said, here's a man I can use. Here's a man that I can use. He understands. He understands. Even in David's mistakes, he was quick to repent. He understands, right? And then David gives us this thought process. Let me number my days. Let me understand my end. Why? Because he understood the same thing that was the prayer of Moses we read from Psalm 90. Life is short. It's going to come to an end at some point. When you get to the end, are you going to look at it and say, man, I wish I'd have done more. Man, I can't believe I missed that. Man, I wish I, I don't get to the end and have a bunch of regrets. 
don't get to the end and have a bunch of regrets. It's like the dude's tattoo I saw on his arm. The tattoo said, no regrets. <laughs> Misspelled. No regrets. Don't get to the end and have a bunch of regrets because you coasted or you were afraid to step out or you were nervous about how it would end up. And you, I, I just don't know. I just don't feel like now's the time to do it. I just don't feel like that now's the, by all means, be led by the spirit. But the spirit is not going to put you in a place of fear. And the spirit is not going to put you in a place where you're nervous all the time or, or that you're hesitant, that you experience constant trepidation. You can't step out to do anything because, well, the spirit tells me it's not. No, no. The spirit of God gives you faith, gives you peace, gives you guidance, boldness, right? Yes. So by all means, be led by the Spirit. There, the Spirit may lead you in a time frame of doing the thing you're called to do, but the Holy Ghost is not going to have you wait 20 years to accomplish the thing He wants you to do. So by all means, be led by the Spirit, but move quickly. Move quickly. Do, what, do the thing. God likes it when people move quickly. Delayed obedience is disobedience. God likes it when people quickly obey. Quickly obey. As quickly as you can. Go to the Gospel of John, chapter 9. As quickly as you can. You know, when you go to Luke, chapter 3, and you see that Jesus showed up at the Jordan River to be baptized in water by John the Baptist, and you notice John didn't want to do it, and he's like, no, Lord, I, I don't want to baptize you. I need you to baptize me. You know, Jesus didn't say, well, listen, let's cancel today. I'll come back maybe sometime next week. We'll give us time to talk it over. It'll give us time to talk it through. Maybe we can baptize each other, you know? Maybe we'll both go under at the same time. We'll just hold hands. No, that's not how Jesus functioned. He said, no, no, we must do all that God requires. And then he said, today, baptize me today. I'm getting ready to start my ministry. I'm not going to reschedule because you don't really feel like it's the right thing to do. or the No, no, no. Do it today. We must do, Jesus said, we must do all that God requires. So let's get it done. And then as soon as he came up out of the water, immediately it began and Jesus is led into the wilderness to fast and pray. Jesus wasn't wasting time. As soon as it was time. As soon as it was time. Soon. You know, people say, you know, well, if Jesus was, wasn't wasting time, why did it take him so long to get started? Well, you know, it was, he was 30 years old. There was a reason. There was a reason that he stepped into his ministry at that 30-year-old age. There's a reason for that. It's not because God was wasting time. Go back and read the culture of it. If, if you're part of Bible study made simple, go look at the, um, the uh, IVP Bible background commentary written by Craig Keener. Go look at the culture. Go look at the Jewish culture of that time. There's a reason he waited and God waited until he was 30 years old to start him in his ministry. And then look what happened. As soon as he started it, there was no wasted time. Boom, 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 boom. In fact, can I tell you something interesting? This Maybe you didn't even know this. Jesus had to gauge his time. Three and a third years of ministry. He had to gauge his time. Maybe you've never seen this in scripture before. There's a reason that through the beginning of his ministry, Jesus would heal people and then go and then say, don't tell anybody that this happened. 
How many have ever read that and thought to yourself, why in the world aren't we supposed to give our testimony? Aren't we supposed to shout it from the mountaintops? Aren't we supposed to let people know what Jesus has done? Why does Jesus keep telling people, don't tell anybody that this happened? Go back and don't tell a soul what happened to you or who you met or how this happened. You ever read that and wondered, what in the world is going on? What in the world is going on? Because his time for crucifixion was not yet. And so if you, if you go look through Jesus' ministry, there, Jesus was delaying because he had things to accomplish. He wasn't going to let that fame to be spread abroad in that way because as soon as that word gets out, as soon as those things started, and they always did, but as soon as that stuff started getting out, what happens is that now people start to recognize, oh, hold on, he's the Messiah. He's the chosen one. He's the son of God. He's the one we've been waiting for. And then it sparks the anger of the Pharisees. It sparks the anger of the religious leaders. And it kickstarts the crucifixion process. And then there's no stopping it. But there were things Jesus needed to do and accomplish. And so he'd tell people, don't, it wouldn't even tell his mother, my time is not yet. My time is not yet. There was a timeline for Jesus. It's not that he was slow in accomplishing his purpose. It's that there was a timeline for him and there were things he had to accomplish and he wasn't going to go ahead of his time, right? There was a timeline. And so he'd tell him, don't go, don't tell anybody what happened to you. Don't tell me how this happened. Just go, go your way. <laughs> because notice once they got to that point in Jesus life and they recognized, and then he finally made it public, they began to plot how they would kill him, the Bible says. They began to plot how they would kill him. Even three years is not a long time to minister. Think about that. Three years is not a long time to minister. I've already been ministering for six times longer, more than six times longer, seven times longer than Jesus ministered on the earth. It's not a long time. It's quick. He was gauging how fast. So John chapter nine shows you though, that he always kept his disciples in a place of urgency. Always. Look at this. We John 9, 4. John 9, 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Look at that. Night is coming when no one can work. Night is coming when no one can work. Vital that we understand that. That's still true today. The night is coming. There's coming a time that the work we're doing now cannot be done any longer. Put it in the um, comments. Night is coming. Night is coming. Kim, it, it actually would have been impossible Kim writes in the comments on Facebook, I wonder what would have happened if they would have never crucified him and realized who he was and if they all loved him. Think about it. It was actually impossible that he could not have been crucified. If he was not crucified, then God's word would have not come to pass, which would have made God a liar, and God's not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should have to change his mind or change his word. Has he not said it? Will he not do it? Has he not spoken? Will he not bring it to pass? There was already Bible prophecy that his hands and feet would be pierced. There was always Bible prophecy that his body would be broken. There all of this. It was God's plan. Yes, that's right. So it would have been impossible that he would not have been crucified. God has a plan. 
and that plan comes to pass. And we can either choose to align ourselves with God's plan or people back away from God's plan, do their own thing. It's a total waste of time. And then sometimes they get back on track. Sometimes they never do, but it's a waste of time to simply do your own thing. It's a waste of time to simply do your own thing, to do God's thing. That's what's wise. That's why even with our kids, we do not and will not tell our kids that when you're older, you can be anything you want to be. That is not the word of God. You can't be anything you want to be. I can't be anything I want to be. I got to be what God called me to be. You know, there's a, it's important that we say he's master. He's not just savior. He's master. He's Lord. There's a big difference between a savior and a Lord, a savior and a master. He didn't just save my life. He owns my life. Think about that. He didn't just save my life. He owns my life. He's my master. He's my Lord. I'm a servant. One translation in the Greek language is doulos. It's a bond servant. It's a slave. That's why Paul called himself a slave of Christ. That's why John the apostle called himself a slave of Christ. He owns my life. The Bible says we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Glory to God. That's why I, don't, I can't do whatever I want. I can't be whatever I want. My kids can't be whatever they want to be. they got to be what God called them to be. I've got to be what God called me to be. I'm not my own. You're not your own. And so I'm saying this today. I'm encouraging your faith because there is an urgency on your life, the importance of what God has called you to do. There's something that you're called to accomplish, and it's no small thing. It is no small thing. In fact, put it in the comments. Last thing to put in the comments, write it this way. My purpose is no small thing. My purpose is no small thing. And that's absolutely right. Your purpose is no small thing. Thank you, Jesus. Your purpose is no small thing. It's vital. It is vital. You're a part of the body of Christ. What God has called you to do is very important. And so I want this broadcast today. It's, it's not a morbid thing. You will die. It's, it's a motivational thing to understand. I've got work to do for the Lord. I cannot delay. I cannot delay. I cannot delay. I got to step up and accomplish all the things God's called me to accomplish. And I cannot delay. Hallelujah. Father, I'm asking you right now that you would impart, deposit a new fire in every man, every woman's life that's watching this right now, listening to this right now. A new fire is coming into their belly. A new fire coming into their spirit. Lord, if we were before this time, if we were burning down to coals, if we were just embers, Father, today, Throw fuel on this fire and let it blaze again, that we would run unhindered, that we would run in the power of the Holy Ghost. We won't stop. We won't stop. And so, Lord, I'm asking you to do a supernatural thing in us. Let our purpose explode this year as we pursue it. 2024, as we're under open heavens, let our purpose explode this year under open heavens opportunities on every side, doors of opportunity, open doors that previously would not open to us. 
we ask you, do things that were not able to be done before this. In the name of Jesus, let us run with a new momentum. I pray that this will be a year that we'll see more finished and more accomplished for your kingdom than we've ever seen before. More accomplished for your kingdom than we've ever seen before. Not just in the body of Christ, in our personal lives, in Jesus' name. I thank you for that. Lord, put a new strength on your people. We're not going to grow weary in well-doing. Give us a new strength in the Holy Ghost. Those that wait upon the Lord, they will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And so, Lord, in Jesus' name, I thank you that right now we're going to see a move of the Holy Ghost through our own lives like we've never seen. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Hallelujah. I see in the comments, we got Elevate Church in the comments. I'm going to be there starting this coming week. We're going to finish up uh, our overflow weekend at Miracle Word Church, and then I'm headed out to Lincoln, Nebraska to be at Elevate Church, and I am excited. I, I cannot wait to get there. It's going to be absolutely amazing. If you're anywhere close to Lincoln, Nebraska, get there. If not, you're only a plane ride away. You're only a plane ride away. It's not 1820. You can make it. Come and be a part of the first revival of the year. First revival of the year in Lincoln, Nebraska. It starts this upcoming week, and we're very, very pumped up about it. Cannot wait to get there. God's going to do great things. God's going to do great things. I'm so happy. We're going to give you an opportunity to sow seed today. If you've not received that instruction from God yet, I'm asking you to pray that during these 21 days of fasting and prayer, God will put an instruction on your heart to release something uncommon into the kingdom to set you up for an uncommon year in the Holy Ghost through your finances. Your finances aren't going to look the same as previous years. You're going higher in Jesus' name. Many of you, you need to start declaring it out of your mouth. This is my debt-free year. This is the year all debts will be canceled, paid in full. Some of you, this is your year to launch your own business. Some of you, this is your year to launch the ministry God told you to launch. Some of you, this is your year to, to build wealth in the kingdom like you never have. God's doing it in our church. We have people that get, are being given opportunities that could only have come from God. We had one, one person in our church, somebody just came. He was retired, he was done, he'd sold businesses, run businesses, and someone came to him and said, hey, you have to be the CEO of this corporation. Come take it, you've got to take it. He had leverage, he said, he set his own terms. <laughs> and it's a big deal. I'm telling you, opportunities are opening up. Set yourself in position for opportunities to come in your hand. Watch what'll happen. Watch what will happen. It'll blow your mind. Open heavens over your life. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.